0: Hello, and welcome to A Cry for Kelp with me, Nick Widdams, where we interview the movers and shakers in the seaweed industry. Today we have Petra Steenhope from Hortemari, Europe's premier seaweed breeder and propagator based in the Netherlands. Petra started as HR and office manager at Hortemari in 2012 when the company was still a startup, and recently she took up the role of sales and marketing manager. She has a lot of experience of seaweed cultivation, from diving to collect the sauras herself at various locations and by seeding and assessing test lines at farms all over Europe. Her experience and expertise have made her one of the go-to people for both established farmers and those just starting out in the industry, so if you're thinking about starting a seaweed farm, you need to talk to Petra. It was a really interesting discussion covering, among other things, the breeding process and her thoughts on how the industry is evolving. So without further ado, let's talk to Petra.
1: Hello, Petra. Hello, Nick.
0: Thanks very much for joining us today on the podcast. You are genuinely one of the most fundamental parts of the seaweed value chain. So I'm so grateful for you taking the time to talk to us. I know there are a lot of people who've got a lot of questions about how the whole thing works um, from your point of view and you know the basis of Hortamari, where you guys started and where you guys are going. So but before we delve into Hortemari, I'd like to know a bit more about yourself. Could you just give us a background about your journey to Hortemari, and, uh, you know, what, what led you to it in the, in the first place?
1: Uh, yes, I can. Um, well, my professional career started actually somewhere elsewhere than seaweed, which is obvious because seaweed is quite new. So I started in the travel industry, the printing industry and the financial industry. And I worked over 20 years in um, various functions, uh, traffic manager, HR office manager, CRM manager. And the knowledge and experience I build up in these industries, in various functions, they provided me with a wide range of uh, expertise, Um, and that helped me to see the larger picture in that business models and organizations and projects. And it allows me to understand the client's needs and challenges. So I took all of that experience with me when I started at Hortimara.
0: And when did that happen?
1: Um, A long time ago, uh, about 10 years ago, I started at Hotimara, I was in between jobs and the um, uh, founder of Hotimara looked for somebody who could help him with all bits and pieces and and that's where I came into uh, the picture. So I applied for the job because I wanted to do something more sustainable Um, and I was actually already a very passionate scuba diver and doing some studies in orthomolecular um, 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 uh, health and food courses and so on and so it completely fit the job uh, and it completely fit my search for something that was other than all the other jobs
0: yeah I get it and did you have an appreciation uh before you saw Uh, the job advert about the value of seaweed did you have any sort of understanding of it or you know was this kind of like a massive eye opener the whole journey
1: yeah well that was funny because previously when I was diving I always tried to uh, tried to avoid the seaweed because it was like I didn't want to go in there I didn't know what was living in there and I um, it was a bit scary to me and at the moment um, when I got um, the advert Um, And I thought like, oh, yeah, wow, you can do a lot of things with it. And from the auto-molecular point of view, I already know that there's a lot of elements in seaweed that is good for your health. Um, So from that perspective, I did find it very interesting. And then the two things came together. And now when I'm diving, you can always find me (laughs) within the seaweed.
0: Oh, lovely. And um, you you joined the company, you say, about 10 years ago. How long had the company been going and how had that started?
1: Well, at that point, the company was still very young because um, Job Slipper founded it in 2009. And he started by looking at the seaweed on the coast of Norway and thought, like, you must be able to do something very nice with the seaweed. Um, it's good for the protein transaction. Um, and it started there uh, with him having this idea, building it out, um, getting some fundings in, uh, starting off with some projects and hiring some researchers um, and a laboratory on TESOL, um, one of the islands in the Netherlands where we um, started the company. Um, the, um, the, the, the start of the company was with five people back in 2012. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, then I joined. So uh, at the moment, um, um, we build up the company from five people back then to twenty people at this moment.
0: Fun. And did you guys get much um, help and support from, from the Dutch government? Did they did they get involved, or is it is it all private affair initially, or is there any academic um, backing behind the whole thing?
1: It's a combination. Back then, in uh, when the when the company started, let's say around 2011, when it really got going, uh, the fundings they were funded by EU subsidies and uh, some grants from uh, where Dutch government was involved. Um, and of course, nowadays we also really um, um, uh, depend on investments. So we've got a um, uh, very nice shareholders that believe in the cause. Uh, that understand that seaweed is going to be um, a major player in the uh, new economies. Um, so that's, um, um, yeah, yeah there's still some, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and do you think that, I mean, because I, I do want to get on to, to to the science behind a lot of what you do, but uh, I'm also interested in, in in how people fund their journeys because it's not hugely profitable yet, and I'm sure it will be very soon. But it's quite hard, isn't it, to start a company um uh, where, where, where the idea is still got a you know a 10-year burn plan uh, ahead of it and finding money hasn't been a difficulty for you guys
1: well of course it's not an easy journey and i think that all the farmers or all the people in the seaweed industry face that same issue um it's um in the end it's um, money uh, that's needed to build this industry so of course there's a lot of funding going on which is very nice um there's uh, more people with money now Uh, investing in companies, which is very good, I think, as well. Um, And the scalability uh, needs to come up now so more people can get involved. Uh, But, yeah, um, raising money is not easy, of course, but uh, fortunately there's a lot of people nowadays understanding that seaweed um, can play a major role in so many processes that uh, people actually want to invest.
0: Brilliant. Well, I'm I'm super pleased to hear that. You are keep you are able to keep going, and then the money is coming in. And yes, it's always going to be a challenge, but hopefully that challenge will start to it, it will start to be easier uh, as the the bulk of the science, the bulk of the data is starting to become readily available. People are going to realize just how fabulous this industry is going to be, and I, I suppose this is where you guys come in, and your your point uh within the industry and you know you are quite fundamental to it all especially for Europe because I, I don't believe there's many people who compete with you in in the processes of you know getting the sorry collection getting the co going is there anybody do you have any competitors in Europe?
1: Do we have any competitors? Well I think what Hotimaila does is quite unique because of course our mission is uh to get towards breeding um uh, with the aim of uh um, getting better yields, more um, um, higher amounts of biomass on the line. Um, and of course, that's quite a process. So that's a process that will take many years. Yeah, no, that's next understandable. To, of course, yeah, <laughs> but next to the breeding part, of course, we are um, the supplier of uh, seaweed seedlings for, um, well, the entire northwest of Europe anyway. Uh, up from the Netherlands all the way to Greenland, Iceland, Denmark, Norway, anything between UK, Scotland. Um, And we are also involved in uh, deliveries to Namibia um, and um, uh, getting in touch with USA, Alaska, Canada. Um, We've Uh got a project going on in Vietnam. So, yeah, there's a lot of things going on. And I think people that need seedlings, they know how to find Hotima, fortunately. Um, Yeah. And then the journey starts because when a client approaches us and says, Can we have, I don't know, 10 kilometers of seedlings for our farm, which is located here? Then we have to see if we have um, the seedlings on stock for that area. So we would always deliver seedlings that originate from that area, not like the <laughs> exact spot, of course, but in a yeah. radius. Um, but sometimes there's a, a new farm or a new farmer. And we don't have anything on stock. And that's where we have to start collecting material. So either we collect the material and the client hires us to come to them. We will dive for it and we will um, find the source and take it with us. Or the client sends it to us. And then they will get our uh, collection protocol. They will get the materials ready. They have the lifeline with Rotimara if they want to check if the, the material is the right material. They will package according to our protocol and then send it to us. And what happens then is we will extract the zoospores from the plant or from the sporophylls, depending on which species it is. Yeah. And from there, we will set up a culture. And that culture starts with zoospores. They will slightly transform into what we call gametophytes. Right. And the gametophytes, they can be kept for quite a long time. Um, and they um, uh, propag- they propagate. So we bulk them up. And once the biomass is sufficient to deliver from, uh, and the the timing is right, because the seedlings always go into the water when the temperature drops below 15 degrees, Mm -hmm. we will make sure that this material, this gametophyte material, becomes fertile. So we will induce the fertilization process of the gametophytes, and then what happens is The gametophytes, the females, they release the eggs and the males, they release the sperm. That will find each other and that will form a sporophyte. And a sporophyte is actually a small baby seaweed plant that you can seed onto a certain substrate. Either we seed it onto twine that we deliver to clients or we deliver the sporophytes as baby seaweeds in seawater with glue and then the client can direct seed that onto their cultivation substrate.
0: I see. And what other ones do they have that some of the clients have other than twine? Because I've only really heard of twine going into the water. When <laughs> to see it. Do they, what else do they use?
1: Yeah. Well, when you use twine, what you have to do is the, the, the seedlings, they have already been seeded on the twine and they have attached. When the client receives the twine, they will have to wrap the twine around the cultivation line, which is, for instance, a 40 millimeter twisted rope. Wow. That takes a long time or it takes some labor or it takes machinery to do it. Uh, and of course, the twine needs to be nurtured in our hatchery for about six weeks. So that time frame, you will have to wait for your twines to be ready. Um, at Hotimata, we've got a different technique as well, which is called direct seeding, whereby the seedlings that normally would be uh, put on the twine, um, as they are already young sporophytes, we will provide those with glue, and then you can do either a traditional seeding method or a two-step seeding method, and we prefer the latter. So we've got our seeding machine which first drops the seedlings onto the rope. And Mm -hmm. then the rope goes through this little glue bath um, covering the seedlings. So the seedlings actually are caught and attached on the rope side. And then the glue is covering that as a sort of a protection layer uh, and making sure that the seedlings stick to the rope. And after that, you can either deploy the rope directly into the ocean or you could even store it for a couple of hours, up till about eighteen hours before you deploy it in the ocean.
0: I see. So that means that eighteen hours. I wonder if that that gives people the ability to go and seed out to sea further away. So if um, you want to go deep sea seeding, I don't know, the, you know. I know that most seaweed is not done in the deep sea yet, but <laughs> but I wonder if in the future that, that 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 you know that space and time that you've got you know, that window of opportunity will will become kind of fundamental to the development of Um, larger seaweed farms.
1: I think the direct seeding process is mainly important because you can scale up very easily with the twine. It takes you a long time to twist it around your ropes and the direct seeding methodology, especially in combination with the seeding machine, allows you to seed about 10 kilometers per day with the machine. So you could seed and deploy your ropes at the same time um uh, and and in that way you would get um bigger farms seeded far quicker than with twine um in terms of going to i think if you you say deep sea maybe you mean offshore
0: yes i, I well I, I suppose in my mind i've just I'm a layman here, uh, Petra. So I just <laughs> in my head I have this sort of vision that they're going, to, that someone's going to grow an incredibly large seaweed farm in the middle of the ocean that's going to absorb a load of CO2. But I know that's kind of impractical because where is it going to? What's it going to hook onto? Um, how are yeah. you going know, to hold it there? But I just feel like that's that's just a technological uh, problem that that needs to be solved, and then maybe we can use. You know, when I when I think about the ocean deserts of where there's not a great deal going on, it might be a good place to do that when you but only specifically for carbon sequestration. I don't think it would be for processing and taking and making seaweed so that it can be used it would just be to absorb the carbon and then drop it into the bottom of the ocean which i know equally has is controversial but that was where the theory my theory has come from again i'm a layman i don't really know what i'm talking about
1: <laughs> no i think i think it's good that you point that out because there's a lot of um research still going on of course especially around the carbon sequestration and in combination with the seaweed farming so i think it's very important once you start seaweed farming you have to have Clear vision on where you're going, so your business model needs to be uh, ready before you start even applying for your licenses. So that means you would first start with what potential area would you want to farm, and I think closer to land is at least easier because it's easier accessible. Uh, You can go out to your farm to check how the seaweed is doing, Um, and I think most of the cultivation actually will be done for actual. Uh, markets like food feed bioplastics fertilizers anything Um, the moment you go to carbon sequestration i'm wondering if it's worth the effort uh, especially if you have to go out far to sea to sequester it big depths because then you would be well using up a lot of uh or you would be um, um putting a lot of co2 in the atmosphere uh while the actual intent is that you're trying to decrease it so that, to me, sounds a bit strange. So I would think that farmers mainly would cultivate for the crop. Um, yeah. and But whilst doing so, and that is interesting, Nick, um, the seaweed will take up nitrogen and phosphates, for instance. And um, apart from the, the sequestration discussion or the CO2, I think it's far more important that by doing that, it deacidifies the ocean. Yeah. Um, so it helps uh, the biodiversity. To, to grow again, it provides shelter to little animals. Um, and of course, you can get the crop out for all these different industries. So I think that's where actually the cultivation of seaweed has its majority uh, of, um, um, benefits. of benefits. Yeah.
0: Yes, no, t- t- it always makes me smile thinking of, uh, I, I can't think of many, many industries or many, frankly, just organisms that just do so much, so much good and come out with something at the end that we can either eat or we can feed to uh, cattle. And, you know, there's, there's so many wonderful options with this. It's it's brilliant. And I, I want to go on to, if I may, the, I, when I read uh, Brendan Smith's book, which I imagine lots of our listeners have done eat like a fish, you know, he, he has a vision for uh, people in, in the eating of seaweed, being able to it being a little bit like viniculture and, you know, different grapes and being, and thinking about, you know, the, taking the seaweed industry to that place. So I wonder to, from your perspective as a breeder, are there any uh, are there any absolutely kick-ass uh, breeds that you really like? Who are your favourite breeds of seaweed? And where are, they, where are they mostly found?
1: Well, I think <clears throat> there's so many uh, seaweeds that are interesting. And uh, I'm sure you know about the reds, the greens and the browns. Um, yeah. At the moment, Hotimaru is mainly involved in the kelps. So um, uh, Saccharina lotissima, which is the super, sugar kelp, and the winged kelp, Alaria. Yeah. Uh, those are our two favorite species because they are very easy uh, to cultivate. And then apart from that, we are also investigating the red seaweeds because they are very interesting for uh, pharmacy, and, and but also food and methane, of course. So there's a lot of research going on, but uh, you have to understand, Nick, that from a breeder perspective, Uh, and a propagated perspective the kelps are more easy to control than for instance a red seaweed because the life cycle of a a red seaweed is far more complicated than from a kelp Um, then again also the kelp grows far faster because if you can imagine that uh, sugar kelp that you plant out in october uh, can yield um, uh, plants up to two and a half meters in April, May, June. Yeah, um, sure. so yeah, or even the macrocystis, for instance, the giant kelps that you can see growing in South Africa, um, in Los Angeles, and so on. Um, they grow up to, I think, between twenty-seven and fifty-five meters in total length, and they can grow up to half a meter a day. Um, so yeah, if you're Amazing. talking about cultivation, the kelps they have the um, the future
0: they are the superheroes of the yes. seaweed world um <laughs> you you mentioned who your clients are you know you've got clients all, all over the place um it, it sounds like you know Europe is 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 pushing ahead obviously Asia has really well ahead but mainly because it's it's been part of the diet I, I believe I, I really that it. it's like 20 percent of the of the Asian diet is seaweed based um which is which is impressive in itself, but therefore most of the seaweed is made over there. Is there any other parts of the world outside of Europe? And, um, oh, you mentioned South Africa. I don't hear very much about South America. Do you know what's going on down there or uh, or any other parts of the world that you think have got real potential for as a seaweed creators?
1: Yeah, well, I think the entire world has potential as, uh, as a seaweed um, cultivating Um and I think it's also getting there. I mean, Asia, of course, we know. But the fun fact is, even though we think that Asia is the um, starting point of cultivation seaweed, actually, South America was way before that, if you go in, back into literature. So that's uh-huh, very nice to understand. Yeah. So there's there's initiatives uh, going um, uh, all over the globe. And I think it will be um, uh, a developed seaweed industry globally. but we still have to wait a couple of years
0: yeah yeah no i understood well i was going to bring uh, that, that that actually is a useful segue because what would you say are your predictions for the next 10 years both both for seaweed uh and you know it's 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 effect on the world i suppose if you start with where you think we will be in 2032 with seaweed in europe what is your you know bold positive vision for it
1: Um, Well, as we see that the scaling up of farms, they are already in progress. Um, And I think by 2025, for instance, we will have the first large farms, say, let's 500 kilometers um, uh, in that surroundings. And then the expectation for, well, let's say 2032, an average farm would be producing about 1000 tons of seaweed per season. Right. Um, and we can imagine also that that is a part of the fact that the breeding is then incorporated. So yeah. the optimization and yields can be reached and also that turnkey concepts and turnkey systems will be in place. Um, so that's something that we would be striving for as well um, to make sure that whenever a seaweed farmer would start, that they can have a turnkey concept and they don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. Yeah. Um, so it should be supported by science. Uh, and we will, we will think that by then the, the, the market has matured and there will be a proper balance between supply and demand, which currently is not the case. Um, but we do see already an increase in, in establishment of seaweed farms, um, um, so globally, uh, but also more farms in certain countries. So yeah, I think um, back in well uh, at the time that we are in 2032, I think the whole world will be cultivating seaweed and using it for, for all the various markets that have been mentioned before.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Oh, I certainly hope that that we case. I think one of the, the only issues, uh, sorry, not the only issue, that's a silly thing to say. I think one of the issues that seems to be whenever I speak to seaweed farmers and anybody really working is, is, is the processing of the seaweed. I don't think that has been solved well enough yet to, for there to be a turnkey processing solution. So uh, is that your understanding or have I got that wrong?
1: Yeah, no, definitely, because at the moment, there's no market pool. So it's like a chicken and, and the egg problem. Yeah. So the upscaling uh, at farmers, they can only happen if they have people that are uh, purchasing the material at decent pricing, and that the processing of the material is also uh, established. And that is something on the processing side, we need specialists. Um, and currently, that is starting. Um, but the focus lies, of course, in getting the proof of concept. So you can see there's some uh, vertical integrated uh, firms at the moment that work well. But, of course, if somebody could really focus in on that processing, yeah. then it would be um, a robust way of uh, getting your seaweeds processed and fat into the market. So that's something that is going to happen in the next coming years. Uh, and it's definitely needed as well. Uh, to give the um, the farmers the option to indeed upscale their farms with the security that yeah. they can uh, sell their um, uh, their seeds to those markets.
0: Exactly. And um, do you, which do you think of, of all the products that there are out there, um, which one is the one that's going to be the one that will make the make it well, either the chicken or the egg in this scenario? Like, because I, I can't help but feel that food has been there for a while but we're not eating enough of it and I wonder if it's agriculture and it's going to be animal feed that will be the the thing that pulls the market up what what do you think
1: yeah I think it's going to be all of them and I hope really actually that there will be a processor that gets the biorefinery in a cascading way uh, under control so what would be nice is if you would grow the seaweed that you can use the entire seaweed there's already some uh, initiatives going on with people buying the let's say if you would um, uh, cultivate for food grade and the food grade industry only wants like the middle section of the plant because that's the well the uh, the most pristine part of the plant and they yeah. don't want the whole fastest type and the tips of the plants because they get fouled easier um and what would be nice is if you can use those products now that's been happening people are like buying off these particular parts of the plant that are not being used in the food grade industry and for instance using that uh, for bioplastics or for fertilizer I see. um if okay. you would drill down even further it would be nice if you have a plant that you can first extract the most important elements of the plant whatever that is for a certain industry if that's I don't know, uh, selenium, magnesium, molybdane, iodine, if you could extract those and the proteins, of course, and and the sugars, if you could extract them and then divide them into various industries, then you would be uh, using the plant to its optimum.
0: Yeah, that's exciting, Um, which again is helpful because it leads me on to the the next question. Do you see any... Those sound like not necessarily gaps in the market. They seem like things that are inevitable to come. But do you think there's any other interesting bits of either tech that just hasn't necessarily come to fruition yet or this needs to happen that you wish was already there that would allow you guys at Hot to, to to be delivering more seed around the world?
1: Um, well, some of the engineer. In perspective um I think um uh, there is a gap on farm design um though there is some um, initiatives going on now that are actually filling that gap for instance I think you've heard about the Greenway initiative with the digital hub that they provided yeah um, and there if farmers start there they can have already um well a nice start to their mooring farm to, to their mooring systems yeah um, but it is something if you would have this turnkey concept in a, in a mooring structure um, on the way that you seed and the way that you harvest, if those best practices are being molded into a scientific proven turnkey concept, turnkey system, that would help the farmers to scale up, I think, as well.
0: Yeah, that would be exciting. I think that's, and, and yeah, it's got to happen. Um, I think uh, that, but that's all part of this, this seaweed industry being a, a seaweed community as well. It's this feeling that I have whenever I speak to people in the seaweeds because it's so young, but it's everybody behind it seems so positive. It feels like it's the kind of place that will be, build itself as a community. And it will all be about sharing best practice and sending out this. So you just need to make sure that the medium is there for people to share their experiences and uh, and to uh, you know to uh, cultivate and um, you know how much information there is out there and make sure that the right information is getting to the right people is that your experience so far when you're talking to all of these these farmers
1: yeah absolutely well um, I think that um, especially over the past few years Loads of more collaborations have started. Um, Communities are starting up. Uh, Seaweed for Europe, of course, is uh, one of those initiatives that is uh, very nice as well. And I think um, people should indeed work together, be transparent, not be afraid um, to share information, um, but uh, work together and make each other strong. And there's a lot of communities coming up now, more seaweed farmers talking to each other, helping out each other, Um, and I think that's the way forward. Um, It will help us um, uh, So be transparent, share successes, build up communities, and that will help um, uh, the industry move faster. Uh, We have to learn from each other, and then we can create that win-win situation where all the parties in the industry can start making money.
0: Do you think that there are only – is there a fear – That you know this will become like big agriculture though that it will stop being a community and it will just you know the bear moths will come in and just stop buying up farms is is there is that a rational fear that actually you know probably won't happen or do you do you do you are you concerned with it?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I haven't even thought about that. Um, Well, I I hope not. uh, But I can imagine, of course, at a certain point, farms will become bigger and there will be other interests from from companies. So it might happen. My general experience from people in the seaweed industry is uh, there's so many lovely people in the seaweed industry. It's so nice to work with all of them together. uh, And people are really forthcoming. So I hope that we can maintain that vibe, yeah. uh, which is a very nice one.
0: Yes, me too. I'm sure. I'm sure we can. I'm sure we can, as long as people keep talking and there are enough fun events that that, that bind fun events and fun mediums for information that bind the community together. I'm sure that will happen. Yeah. Um, uh, any policy bottlenecks that you currently see that are that are stymying growth, maybe in Europe or any any specific areas that you think that they, that people have actually overcome some policy blockages?
1: Well, you can see things moving. Um, uh, There's still a lot of things that needs to be established because, um, 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 for instance, the licensing um, takes a long time in certain areas. um, And we hope that we can get that moving a bit quicker, or at least that, for instance, government bodies that do licensing start thinking with the farmer and for instance, allow them to do a small file of scale whilst waiting for the application to be granted, for instance, yeah, uh, or at least have in mind that a season, a seaweed season, it's a seasonal thing. So you right. have to go in the water, October, November, maybe late deployment in February, but at least that's your cutoff moment. And then you are gonna harvest in spring. So when governmental bodies understand that, we can hopefully get to the point where farmers don't lose, lose an entire season. Yeah. Um, from a seaweed, com- seaweed seed company perspective, we've got some bottlenecks with remote locations. Um, oh uh, for instance, propagating seed for farmers in Alaska and Maine uh, because there's some legislation on import of seed material and the use of comedified stock. So those kind of legislations um, that would be nice if we can get that going yeah. uh, and we can have some more understanding um, by for instance people transporting seaweeds as well that it's a live material uh, yeah. and it needs to <laughs> it needs to get within a transit time of a couple of days it needs to be there so there's some strugglings in the industry some some policy bottlenecks and some practical bottlenecks yeah. that we still have to overcome And of course, if we start scaling, like real scaling, um, uh, we as a as a uh, seedlings company always have um, 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 to find that balance as well to be able to deliver to the client in the quantities that they need. um, um, Hopefully, within the facilities and the team that we currently have, so we can improve the uh, the costs um, efficiency. So, clients hopefully. Will get good prices um, uh, when purchasing the seedlings.
0: Well, I'm sure, sure they will, and that leads me on to my my final question, which I ask most of my guests, which is: Are, are you hiring? Is Hortemari looking for people to 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 join, or, or will you be in the future? And if so, uh, what would be the skill sets that you would want to to join?
1: Yeah, well, at the moment, we've got a team of uh, 20 um, and they're doing an awesome job. Um, But considering the fact that Rotimara grew from 5 to 20 people in nearly 10 years and the seaweed industry is growing quite quick, um, we can see that we might be hiring soon. Um, Most likely, our first necessity will be then to hire people with technical knowledge and experience on farming and hatchery work. So the ideal candidate would have gained experience working at seaweed farms, fishery industries or like. And um, they would be very hands-on and pragmatic uh, understanding the needs of the farmers.
0: Well, there you go. you heard it here. That's what Petra's looking for at Heartamare. I'm sure they are going okay. to be fundamental to the growth of this industry. And uh, so definitely keep your toes on it. And to that end, uh, Petra, I look forward to, I hope, getting you back on the podcast in six months' time and see how, we, how are we getting on because this has been great. And you've given everybody such a good appreciation of the uh, how you do what you do and how we are going to get to a position where the seaweed farms are all over the world Um, and i think you should just keep doing what you're doing because it sounds fantastic thank you very much for your time petra
1: thank you so much nick